Well, it's nice to see you guys and meet you. I'm Lauren. I work with um, Bill in the sales department here at Go Media. I'm sure most of you know this guy. I'm Bill, uh, president of Go Media. Hi, Chelsea. Um, <laughs> been trying to figure out how to run a profitable design firm for 20 years, and I think I'm getting close. <laughs> getting there. Yeah, one of these days, one of these days. Yeah. Um, do you have questions or an agenda or so you guys have yeah. questions? I have questions, but um, if anyone wants to ask questions, we can start from that point. Last time I I determined. Yeah, yeah, you should shut okay. yours down here because there's an echo going on in the back of that. Okay. Does, does anyone have any questions that they want to start with? Not kind of idea of something. So, okay. Um, I'm about contemplating jumping shit from a stable but boring job. Okay. To do freelance better stuff full time. All right. It's a scary leap because sure. you know, family mortgage, whatever. Boring day job pays the bills, right. but my freelance work is more creative. But I try not to charge a lot of money for my freelance stuff because I want a different because the day job is so boring. I want creative work, so I do charity work as well as kind of low funded stuff that I enjoy doing rather than I want to do it. But right. it's that how do you take that leap of faith and turn uh, it into something? How did you take that choice and do it? So um First of all, I, I totally get why you don't charge a ton for the freelance work and that you find nonprofits to work with because there's also a freedom, yeah, just a psychological really freedom and not charging a lot because there's, yeah. there's no pressure on you. No. Uh, typically, if you've got really low rates, you kind of dictate terms. You can even That's say, hey, look, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like, hey, you're only, charging, you're, only, you're only paying me, you know, five bucks an hour for my work, so I'm going to yeah. do what I want to do and you can take it or leave it and... Yeah, it's, it's a very freeing place to be. Um, you know, first of all, I'd say I wouldn't consider it a leap of faith. I wouldn't go into it that way. No. I would want to try and establish some track record of clients and work and cash yeah. flow so yeah. that when you make the leap, you're relatively secure in the fact that you think this is going to work for you. Yeah. And so, you know, I always tell people, if you've got a day job and you're looking to go freelance, Start building up whatever that freelance business is going to be while you're still maintaining your day job. Yeah. And part of that is going to be asking for what probably is going to feel like outrageously high rates. Yeah. And seeing if you can successfully sell at that rate. Yeah. Um, you know, I met with a great uh, gentleman at the uh, Small Business Association here in Cleveland many, many, many years ago. And he said... Um, here's how you figure out what you charge. You have to actually look at your day. Well, first you need to sit down and add up all your bills to try and figure out what it's going to cost you to survive. Like what does it cost for your mortgage and this and that? And then you save, you know, add all that up for like a month. And then you look at how many billable hours you actually think you could log in a month. And that's not 40 hours a week because you've got to do your own books. You've got to market. You've got to have meetings with clients. You need to, so you need to subtract all that. Yeah. And you're probably going to end up somewhere between um, four and six hours a day, you might be able to be billable. Yes. It's a, on the safe end, I'd say four hours a day <laughs> that yeah. you'll actually be billable. And yeah. then you take that total that you need to earn and you divide it by however many hours that works out to in a month. Yeah. Uh, it would be four hours a day times seven days a week times 4.2 weeks in a month. Yeah. And you'll get a number there and you divide that and that's what you need to charge. And that's yeah. usually going to fall somewhere in the hundred to hundred and fifty dollars an hour range. Yeah, which is feels like a ton when you <laughs> start asking for clients. That's a yeah. big leap. That's a big. It's a huge leap. It's a huge leap. When I started, I was at like ten bucks an hour, then twenty bucks an hour. Let me do it. Admit that. Person. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, so it 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 feels like a massive ask to yeah. to start asking for those numbers. 
Um, you just need to keep reminding yourself that there's firms out there that are doing it. Yeah. They have found those clients and they are charging that much. Yeah. Even though it's a shock to our own sensibilities, yeah. it's not necessarily a shock to our customer sensibilities. No. Certainly, if you've got a mortgage and you've got a family, you've got to figure out how to make that work. Yeah. And that's the second part of the challenge, right? Yeah. Ask, ask those prices, see if you can get them. And if you can't, then really the next step is just what do I need to do to figure out how to get more leads in the door so that even though 80% of people are going to turn down those rates, that I have enough leads that the remaining 20% that are going to say yes will take on those projects. Yeah. So the easiest way to do that experimentation, which is basically yeah. what you got to do, yeah. um, is to keep that day job so that you're not in a panic. Yeah. Because if you just like, hey, drop that day job, and now all of a sudden I got to somehow figure out how to sell fifty, sixty, seven thousand dollars a year in design services. Yeah, that's impossible. Here's yeah. So here's what happens. Then you're you're fearful of not landing that job because you got your mortgage payment in two weeks. So yeah. you're going to undercut yourself right out of the gate. You're going to try and come in at a place that emotionally feels like I think I can land this. Yeah. Which is not going to be enough to support yourself in the long run. So you know. By keeping that day job and having the opportunity to start building your freelance website, start promoting yourself, start getting leads, and start putting proposals together where you're asking for the numbers that you're going to need to get to survive on, yeah. by keeping that day job, it's going to make all of that low pressure. And, yeah. you know, um, I kept day jobs as I was getting GoMedia started. And I was horribly undercharging, but I was just living so damn frugally. I was by myself. I was in like a one bedroom apartment. Yeah. You know, my overhead was so low that I could somehow find a way to survive on those those really low price points. But here's where the rubber hit the road for me when I actually tried to hire someone and pay them some kind of a livable wage, which it wasn't even, it was a pathetic wage. Yeah. But even that, I wasn't earning enough to cover that employee's livable wage. So even though I could live on ramen and save up some money, <laughs> I as couldn't. soon as I hired someone, that bank account got wiped out because then I was paying them a livable wage and I wasn't charging enough. Yeah, I was charging so little that at one point a friend of mine who happened to work in the corporate world asked me for a quote on some design work. She called me and she's like, um, Bill, triple your rate and send, me, send it back <laughs> to me, which was like mind-boggling to me. I'm like, wait a minute triple it like take the quote i gave you and make it three times as much she's like yes and you'll still be cheaper than most of the other people that are sending me quotes i'll i'll give you the project it's just mind-blowing because you don't think um I'm, to be honest with you it's weird because i've got clients in new york that pay yeah. more than my clients in england and you know okay. my freelance work is good i've got a lot of variety i've got clients all over the world i'm doing stuff that's good but the clients in new york they automatically expect to pay more money than the yeah. client over here, which is yeah. kind of weird. It's, it's kind of, in America, they don't even ask a question. They just go, yeah, that's fine. Over uh -huh. there, they'll whittle you down and whittle you down until eventually you're working for nothing. So, Well, if they're not whittling you down in New York, then that means that you're coming in way lower than what else they're, like, uh, they're like, uh, yeah, we'll take that, we'll take that. Um, we got this crazy, crazy British guy that's charging us nothing for like great <laughs> That's work. it. Yeah, we actually had, for about two years, we had a agent in New York City that was finding us work. Yeah. And here's how the conversation would go. They would describe the project, and in my mind, I'm going, I would charge about $10,000 for that. Yeah. And the agent would be like, the customer's only willing to pay $50,000. I'm really sorry. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, yeah, okay, well, all right, well, we'll do it this time, but next time, you know, I want to get paid more money. <laughs> you know? So... You know, people's yeah. perception of what things cost, they vary wildly. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's some other things that go along with that. Like, the people that are willing to pay more are usually easier to work yeah. with than the people that rake yeah. you over the coals and want to pay very little. Yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah. And there's real psychology behind this. When people pay more money, they are happier with what they get. So if you buy a cell phone and you get it yeah. for 20 bucks. Yeah. And then in an experiment, you sell that same cell phone for $600. The person that paid $600 is somehow going to be happier with yeah. that cell phone just than you were when you had money it. For it. And then the perception of you, you know, is raised by asking for more. And you know what? There's always the post 
request negotiation. So yeah. many times I think we're trying to sell at the price point we want to be at, but you should start with the assumption that the price is going to come down through yeah. negotiation. So, so go high first, then come down. You want to start higher anyways. Like let them feel, let them, let them balk at your price and let them negotiate with you. And hopefully, even after you've negotiated down, now you're at a place where you're still happy. Where we're, yeah. that's where you kind of really want it to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, I read your book. Yeah, I mean, I read your book, and it was it was that was one of the things when I read your book that kind of really got me thinking about stuff because it was very well it was i think from a creative point of view we're the, probably the worst business people yeah you're creative because we don't see in a business way we see in a right. creative way um but reading your book seeing from a creative point of view and being a business person the the kind of dichotomy that you went through and that you yeah. have on a regular basis kind of refreshing that it wasn't yeah. just me or us creative right we went through it because we want to, because we we like designing, and that's what we want to spend our time doing. Yeah. So that yeah. that's kind of where we focus our energies. So, you know, even as I figured out the pricing part, it took me probably longer to figure out the marketing and business yeah. side of it. Yeah. Because I found, but I wasn't marketing or generating enough leads so that I would end up slow. And when you end up slow, you end up desperate. When you end up desperate, you start shortchanging yourself on your pricing again. Yeah, you're, you're going to be in the best possible position to negotiate if you don't need them. And in fact, you're slammed yeah. and you're kind of annoyed at the fact that there's a new project on your plate. And yeah. so then you're going to ask for more money because you're like, well, yeah. I'm going to have to work OT for this. So I better get paid more. And um, and it's an ongoing battle. I mean, we're still figuring that out here at Go Media. I mean, you know, nobody's getting rich over here, um, but um we have shrunk the company, and so now we're really slammed. Yeah, we need to hire. We still need to hire a designer. Um, but by being small and being slammed, it affords us the opportunity to try and ask for some of those bigger dollar figures. Yeah, this is another thing that goes along with those do bigger dollar figures. You can never bring in a client at a certain price point and then later on in the relationship increase it. It's very difficult to do that. And wherever you set those expectations, that's where they know. That's where you're going to be able to sell to that person over and over again. Yeah. So, you know, if you're at a certain price point, you've been selling at that price point for a while, that's where most of your customers are at. Every time they call you for more work, price point, you know. That's where I'm at now. Yeah. 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 So you, you may very well have to find new customers. Yeah. That may be part of your process here is that you're going to lose the customers you've got, but you're going to get other customers that are paying you more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we are a lower budget customer. You know, we typically will negotiate terms. So maybe being more flexible with your timeline, fitting it in when you can, or asking for a bigger deposit up front, yeah. um, just to help you know digest that they are you know paying less. Yeah, it is. It's just kind of it's it's just a, I'm so busy thinking about the creative side of things, the business side of things is something that's it's just another thing that I'm kind of having to learn on the fly. Yeah, and it's kind of I've seen you guys. You've done it, and like you said, streamlining things is better and easier. But I'm on my own, so if I expanded more than I am now, I would have to take on someone else to help do that, and then I'd be in the same position you were in, where I can't afford to pay someone else the kind of wages that I would need, and right. they would need. So you, I'm in that kind of middle. What do I do next? So it's yeah, yeah. So and I, you know, I also think that you know we do have limited bandwidth personally, individually. So, you know, you work your day job and then really how many hours do you have after work to really put in a concerted effort to do some work? So if you already have clients that you're doing that freelance work for, yeah. in order for you to start experimenting with and trying to bring on some higher paying customers, you are going to have to kind of let some of that go so that you can start to experiment with yeah. higher prices and customers that can actually afford that because you're not going to yeah. be able to work your day job, work for nonprofits at a low price point, yeah. and then find the time to build a website, market yourself, yeah. Yeah. generate leads, and send out proposals. You know, so, you know, you're, but, but, you know, the moment that you're like, okay, I'm making the leap now, I'm going to quit my day job, and now I'm going to be freelance all the time, you should be feeling confident. You shouldn't be like, 
Oh my God, I'm not going to make it. I'm not sure I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. Like you should be like, Oh my God, I'm slammed with this higher paying work. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, that higher paying work should be significantly higher than what you're making at your day job in yeah. terms of rate per hour. Yeah. Yeah. You should have developed a few customers. So that you're like, okay, I've got a few now I've been working with for a while. I know they're going to keep coming back to me. Hopefully you've got some savings. If not, yeah. you know, you can, Potentially, I don't know your financial position, but it's always good to have a little backup line of credit, you know, just to be like, all right, it's been a slow month or I'm waiting on checks. I'd say yeah. that's actually a fairly tough adjustment to make is the inconsistency of the cash flow. Because you might Over here, there's a law that stops it. Over here, if you're a small business, there's a law, government law, that says you have to pay a small business within a minimum of 28 days, um, which is great. So <laughs> I need to talk to my legislators over here. Yeah, <laughs> our government's useless for everything apart from that, which is great. And there is a law that basically bigger companies to stop bigger companies ripping off smaller companies and pushing them up. Yeah, they have to pay within a minimum of twenty-eight days. Otherwise, you can charge a ten percent every month that they're late after that. Okay, so that's well, quite good. But it, I get what you and what you said. That's really made me think. Okay, that. I can probably do this. Yeah. And you'll prove it. You know what I mean? Like you don't need to question whether or not it's possible. You just start to set it up, start to market yourself, try and figure that piece of the puzzle out. Yeah. And then land some work. Be like, all right, I can sell it a hundred dollars an hour. I can sell it $125 an hour. Yeah. You know, you know, I say set outrageous goals for yourself. And again, because you're, you have a day job, it affords you the opportunity to do some crazy shit and just yeah. see if it works. Yeah, damn wrong. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it's brilliant. It's you know watching the way you guys have grown and watching how you've done things and like I said, reading your book, it's kind of you are refreshing compared to a lot of design agencies and a lot of big agencies. You still have the clout with big clients, but you seem like a small agency with that mentality, which is a brilliant thing that most people don't have. Right. You know, it's that's the model. Yours is the model, really. That is a <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's always problems, but your model seems really good because everybody seems really connected. Yeah, absolutely. There, you know, obviously, there's always battles. Uh, yeah. You know, one thing that we have done is we have fought to stay a design firm. Yeah. I think that there's high profit margins and things like marketing and search engine optimization and and you know ancillary services. And that yeah. pulls a lot of design firms into the marketing world, and pretty soon they're not really a design firm anymore. Um, so we've really kind of fought to try and maintain that. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, I still like to design, and when we get over 14, 15 people, I don't get the opportunity to design anymore because there's just so many fires to put out and all that kind of, you know, sales and HR and management and, you know, just... That's the bit that kills me. That's the bit that's making me worry about taking that next step, about do what, you know, you lose your creativity, you lose the ability to create because you're so worried about business and other bits and pieces. So it's good to hear that you still can do that and manage the business side of things. To a degree. It's tough, yeah. though. I mean, I, 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 the first thing I do ask anyone that is talking about um, building a business Yeah. I say, well, do you want to be a designer? Do you want to be a business owner? Because as soon as you say I'm building a business, that actually has to be your first priority. Because if you're not taking care of the business, and yeah. you can't pay your own, you can't pay yourself, you can't cover your bills, and the whole thing collapses. So, um, but if you're just saying, hey, I want to go freelance, I'm not trying to build a business, I'm not trying to hire a bunch of people, but I just want to be freelance and be earning enough as a freelance designer. Yeah, it is achievable where you're still a designer and where um, you're keeping those other tasks like marketing and sales and bookkeeping and all that, you're keeping that workload small enough that still the bulk of every day gets to get spent on design. Yeah. That's, that's I think that's where I need to be and that's where I want to be. Yeah. I think I'm just scared of the kind of the, the business thing taking over and, you know, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a learning experience because – you know, um, you are going to have those things that you're going to have to figure out. Yeah. Now, fortunately, there are solutions to all of those problems. 
Right. You don't necessarily need to hire a full-time person to help you with those things. Maybe you've got someone that just comes in for half a day, one day a week to get your your books caught up, where you're yes. just receiving bills, paying bills, putting all the entries into your whatever software you're using. We use QuickBooks. Um, yeah, yeah I've just used compare that. Yeah, there are marketing tools out there at Google AdWords, which we use all the time. Yeah, that basically once it's set up and running, that is just kind of like something that runs on its own, so you don't have to worry about well, I need to design a new flyer and I need to run around town and pass them out. I need to be cold calling people. You know, there are services out there that can help manage that marketing stuff. Yeah. Those things, those are all things that do need to be taken care of in order to keep you busy. Yeah. Because, you know, I mentioned this in my book, you know, what you want to avoid is what I did for years, which is I'm busy, so I'm going to just design all day long for three weeks straight. Yeah. Run out of work and then I'm totally desperate and have to go out and sell and market for two weeks. Yeah. You know, it's better if you can find some sort of a consistent workflow with the marketing side of it and the lead side of it and the sales side of it yeah. so that um, so that you're not, you know, swamped one month and then completely... Yeah, um, dead the next, which you'd kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's those moments of desperation when emotionally you're probably willing to sell on the cheap, right? Because you're desperate and yeah. then you get in that vicious cycle. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you lock in. I'm going to reach out to my friend. My friend's a really famous designer in London who's worked all over the place, Ian Swift. And he's always been one of my heroes. And when I have like one of those periods of panic, I'll email him. And he works globally and he works on a shed in his garden, but he's global clients and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he always says to me, like, you know, I go through this panic every couple of months. Don't panic. Breathe. It's fine. You're going to get some <laughs> it's okay and it's kind of hearing it from someone that's like established and massive calms me down and i'm like okay i can do this we'll move forward and it's like i said with you guys and kind of reading your book and stuff like that it's these things that you can bounce off to go it's okay i can get through this i've just got to kind of work it out yeah yeah when i was first getting started i mean i can't tell you how many times i sat down on my computer and started working on my resume again (laughs) <laughs> and then the call would come, the phone call, I'd be working on the resume, and the yeah. call would come in with one more design project, and be like, all right, that'll get me through this month. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, uh, you know, I would say that there was a major calming that occurred after three years. I would say three years in business on my own, I really started to relax about the cash flow stuff. Yeah. But I still feel it. Um, I maybe even got too calm about it because... In 2015 and 2016, GoMedia was losing tons of money, obscene amounts of money. We were overstaffed. We had expensive developers that we weren't keeping busy enough. Yeah. And I just kind of weathered it. Emotionally, it was beating me down on some level. But on the other level, I was like, it'll turn around, stick with it. And it was eventually yeah. running out of money, like really being in like, a, okay, we're not going to be able to make payroll soon if it keeps going like this. That forced me to make some really yeah. tough decisions and lay some people off. Um, but that's turned the whole company around and last year we were profitable and things are looking really good this year. Um, so, you know, those fears also serve a purpose, you know, you kind of got to listen to them a little, but, um, early on you need to tell them to calm down. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Having, having, having a line of credit again, it's, it's, it's a savior and it's also a crutch that can make you lose a lot of money because you're like, oh, well, I just lost $10,000 this month, but I got this line of credit, so I'll go ahead and pull $10,000 in my bank account. I'm all right. I'll survive. I'll get it back next month. But then yeah. a year goes by and you're like, well, I've been pulling $10,000 from that credit line every single month for 12 months. Now I have $120,000. Now, yeah. now I have a real problem, you know, like, yeah. so it's a weird thing, you know, like, I've always believed in organic growth and not using lines of credit, though I have learned to do it better. But I think early on, it's best to try and avoid that. Um, It's good to set it up as a safety net, like if you've got to freaking pay your mortgage or whatever. But that's why I go back to keep the day job and prove to yourself that you can sell at that price point and prove to yourself that you can make enough money to survive on your own before you go out on your own. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would would push it to the point where you're just like, I'm exhausted. I'm working, you know, 20 hours a day. I can't keep up with oh, my day job and my, my freelance work. What's that? You do that now? I'm not, I do that now, yeah. Yeah, I'm okay, exhausted. all right. 
<laughs> you just got to turn the you just got to turn the 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 nonprofit work into high paying work and still yeah. be putting in those uh, hours. And yeah, if you're doing okay. that, then theoretically, well, I don't know what your 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 bills are, but hopefully you can save up some money so you've got a little bit of a nest egg that can yeah. act as a safety net for you if you've got a slow yeah. month. And then yeah. also, you know, certainly if you're going to make that leap, it wouldn't be a bad idea to revisit your own personal budget and go, yeah. are there things in my budget that I can get rid of that I can bring my overhead down? Unfortunately, I can't get rid of my children. But I hear that. I don't know. I, I've heard British kids sell for quite a good penny. I think you can get rid of the kids and build the nest egg all at the same time. Are your kids cute? <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. So that's really good. It's that's really giving me something to think about. It's um, that's a good angle. So thank you. That's very good. Yeah. So um, I see Kelsey, uh, Chelsea, Chelsea. Sorry. Um, Hi, Chelsea. Hey, Chelsea. Sent uh, asked some questions. So uh, val hey, um, so value based pricing, and that is basically a concept where you just the pricing is not associated to the hours. You just say hey. What I'm selling you is worth more than the hours I'm putting into it. And you can, that can be based on anything you want to come up with. I, I read this article once where a famous designer was trying to convince a hotel uh, chain owner why he should spend $10 million on a new brand. And he's like, look, this is only $5 per hotel room, right? Is your brand worth five bucks per hotel room? Yeah. And it was like, oh, yeah, I think for each hotel room, it's worth five bucks per hotel room mm -hmm. to get a new brand that I added up to $10, $10 million or whatever it was. It was something like that, you know, where he's just trying to change the perspective of the client to get them to appreciate, you know, what the real investment is. Um, and I think that is critical to becoming very profitable because as a service-based business, you can only earn as much as as many hours as you can put in. So you need to find, you need to think of creative ways to make more money than the hours that you're putting in. Obviously, a lot of design firms develop products. GoMedia developed the Arsenal. Yeah. We have a design conference, which sometimes is profitable. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, um, um, we've got like our little uh, mock-up this, mock-up that, that helped bring in some more money. But on the day-to-day -day design side, we're trying to figure out how to bring in more money. And so, you know, historically we've been charging $100 an hour for design services and $125 for development. And we've been able to keep ourselves really pretty busy. But at the end of the day, when we look at like what we brought in and what our staff is making, we need to be doing better. So whether we just raise those hourly rates or just artificially say, hey, we were doing branding, you know, this past year for $4,500. We need to start charging $6,500 for our branding process. Um, and it's not going to take any more hours, but we're just saying, hey, when GoMedia does it, it's worth more. Yeah. Then that's just a decision that we need to make, and we need to see if we can't sell at that price point. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly if you can find a way to make an argument to a client about why something is valuable, and, you know, if that pitch can resonate with the clients, you can get more money, then do it. Um, with, our, with our web development, what we're working on right now is, you know, it's natural for developers. And I think this goes with, like, a lot of industries, like lawyers. You can kind of pre-write code. You can kind of pre-write um, um, contracts. And then when a client comes in to, to buy a contract, that lawyer's not writing that contract for you from scratch. He's written 100 other contracts. He finds the one that's closest to it. He pulls it off the shelf. He changes out the names. He adds a few, you know, things in there to make it custom to your particular situation. And he sells it to you at, you know, 10 times, you know, what he put into it in terms of time. Um, so we're trying to do that same thing with our web development process. We've always had a code base we work off of, but now we're even modularizing our web development where we're creating designed rows, like modules, so that we can quickly assemble web pages because, you know, there's common trends to how we're developing web pages. You know, I need an image left. I need a paragraph of copyright. Why don't we just pre-build that as a module so we can throw that together? Yeah. Um, 
this is where some of that business creativity um, question comes in that I, I think a lot of designers struggle with. Yeah. It's like, all right, I like starting with a blank slate. I like sitting down to a blank canvas and starting creating something from scratch and working that through and being able to hand something to a client and say that this is absolutely 100% original work. Yeah. Um, if you can find the right clients that pay enough money, then you can do that every time. In my experience, while those projects come along once in a while, it my what I think GoMedia's path to being more profitable is, is having more of these um, value-based products these pre-built products and having to attack, you know, um, our pricing and our price points to be more profitable in a more value-based way. Because if we're just charging hundred bucks an hour and we can only, you know, make that, then in order for us to cover our overhead and our healthcare, my God, that's insane. Our building, our, our advertising costs, all of that, you know, um, where we're at today is not making everybody happy. You know, I, I, Many a staff have left because we don't pay them enough. Certainly when I look at what Wilson and I or the partners are paying ourselves compared to what I've read is what other design firm owners pay themselves, yeah. we're significantly lower than what other design firm owners are paying themselves. And, you know, we work as hard as anybody. I mean, you know, we're here 14, 16 hours, yeah. you know, a day. So, um, so yeah, so... I'm just rambling. I, I forget what. Looking <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. Chelsea was talking about value prices. So, yeah, I think you need to do that. You need to think about it in those terms, and you need to figure out, you know, what what is my little tricky way of trying out how to extract more value from a customer. So another thing we do, we want to talk about our leasing. Yeah, we offer a managed lease for our website, so instead of paying for it in full, um, it basically acts like a car lease. So it's a 36-month term. It's a significantly lower monthly payment. In the long run, when all said and done, they're paying it's about double. Now, yeah. given it comes with hosting and some ongoing support, but there's still a ton of extra money that we're, we're getting in door um, that we otherwise wouldn't have gotten if we would have just sold it outright. Yeah. Um, so that's the big winner for us. Yeah, so we literally like it. If it's a if it's a ten thousand dollar, let's say it's a ten thousand dollar website, we will divide that ten thousand dollars by eighteen because that's a year and a half. Yeah, but then they end up paying that for thirty six months. So they end up. So paying we're literally over those three years collecting twenty thousand dollars instead of ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Now we do do, like Lauren mentioned, we do, do do hosting. We do do support. So if something goes wrong with the site, we will fix it for them. And they usually have a small bucket of service hours where they can ask us to make some changes to the website. But the overall cost of those things compared to the extra $10,000 we're making, it's pretty minimal. So um, you do sacrifice immediate payments. So certainly when you're selling a big website, let's say we sell a $60,000 website, um, we're about to have to put in $60,000 worth of work to build that thing. And we're not getting that payment right away. So there's definitely a lag in getting that money in, but over the over the over the time frame, it works out to our advantage tremendously. Yeah. And um, and we didn't we still offer both ways to our clients. We don't want to pigeonhole them into this. We're just saying, hey, look, here is an alternate way to pay. And for some customers, it's basically like getting a line of credit. They don't mind paying the interest yeah. on that. They might not be able to afford a sixty thousand dollar website this month but they can't afford a $60,000 website over three years. Yeah. Um, and we do also, we don't offer it to everyone. You know, some guy walks in with tattered clothes and says he's homeless and asks for a million dollar website. We're not gonna be like, no problem, we'll put you on our lease. We'll go ahead and build this million dollar website for you. You know, yeah. we kind of judge the client. Like, okay, yeah. do they actually have money? Do we think they're gonna pay their bills? If yeah. they don't pay their bills, we'll, a lawyer be willing to sue them for us, you know, that, that kind of uh, thing. Um, but, um, but yeah, you definitely need to, um, you have to figure out ways to creatively make more money. And one thing that we haven't got into, but a lot of artists and illustrators get into, I think that, um, you know, Shepard Ferry and all those guys get into this where they'll create a design, but they'll be like, they have some sort of a licensing deal where it's like, okay, I'm going to make a t-shirt design for you, but you're only allowed to print 2000. 
And if you want to print more than 2,000, you got to come back and pay me more money. Yeah. And I know some designers have been very successful with that. Yeah. I've never never really had that big of an ego where I could tell someone you have to pay me <laughs> twice. Yeah. You know, I, I've always kind of been the guy that's like, hey, you pay me for it. I give it to you. You own it. You do whatever you want with it. That's kind of how I've approached it. But there are other ways to do it. You know, there are other ways to find extra value in, um, you know, how you sell your services. Yeah. Um, I think Chelsea had a question about billing for meetings. That's a good question. Meeting time. You know, this is a tough one. I think most customers, in my experience, most customers don't think they should have to pay for a quote or for an initial meeting where we're trying to sell them something. In the, for the most part, GoMini has just tried to bake that those expenses into our hourly rates. Now, there is an occasion where a client calls us in and their project is so big, their web development uh, proposal is so complicated that we're literally going to have to put in weeks, maybe a month of work just to wrap our brains around their project, yeah. to sort through it and be able to create a spreadsheet that details all the things we're going to sell them. In those cases, sometimes I will go to the customer and say, look, it's going to take, since you don't have it well thought out and organized, we're going to have to think it all out, get it organized for you in order to write a proposal, and that's going to take a month of our time, and we just can't do that. So here's what we'd like to do. We're going to charge you some minimal amount of money hourly, but it's going to be something to go through and do all this work for you. And the way I pitch it to them is you're going to need someone to do this work anyways. You're going to need to figure this out because you can't go to other firms with the same, I don't know, figure it out for me sort of attitude and get a price. So let, let's do this work for you. We're going to hand you a document where we've figured all this out for you. And you know what? Then you can go shop that around to other design firms and get a bunch of quotes because we've figured it all out. So, you know, they may be working towards a $50,000 website proposal. I might be charging them $1,200 to create a sitemap for them. Yeah. But again, working through that sitemap and figuring out everything that's going to go into the web development you know, that's, that's going to be a lot of work for me. Um, hopefully, by going through this process with them, um, we become the preferred vendor because they're like, oh, go media helped me figure all this shit out, so, you know, I definitely think I want to go with them. And, and that has proven to be true. And sometimes even when I'm not charging a customer, I will go the extra mile to help them figure out what it is they need. And in most of those cases, they're going to hire us because... I was the firm that was doing more, that was working harder, that was helping them figure it out. Tom had a question there. Is there a lot of back and forth in negotiating? Or do clients immediately state what their budget is? Um, so we always try and ask budget up front, and the way we explain that we are asking for what their budget is is simply that look, we're just trying to figure out whether or not um, we're the right fit for you. We don't want to waste your time. You don't want us to waste uh, our time. Um, and also, when it comes to web development, sometimes there's two, three, four different ways to uh, tackle something. Um, and if you don't give us a budget, we don't know whether to build the Primo site that does what you're asking or the sort of half manual way of doing it or the super cheapo way of doing it. I'll give you a good example. There was a client that came in and they wanted a um, they wanted a website that would basically market um, apartments, let's just say. And um, they wanted the customer that was selling or renting an apartment to be able to come in and fill out a form and then to have that apartment appear on the website as a web page. Now, we could have built like a $100,000 piece of software that would take that form and automatically generate a web page. But she's like, I've got $7,000. <laughs> We're like, you want us to build a, like an apartment rental website for $7,000? Are you nuts? I said, well, what we could do is make a fake one. So you'll have the form that the customer fills out. You'll receive that information. But then you're going to need to be the one going into WordPress and manually generating a page and posting it on your website. That, that can be built for $7,000. And I'm like, if you do that and you've proved that the business plan works and you're selling a lot of these, then maybe you can come back to us with $100,000 and then we will build you the site that does it all automatically. 
And she accepted that, and we built it, and she was successful. And then she, she has came, come back. She has course. come back. So I think, yeah. So I think, what was the second spend? Like twenty-five k, yeah. I thought. Yeah. So first spend seven k. We built her the little thing where she can do it manually. So point being, we actually can quote better and figure out a better solution for our customers if they do give us a budget. Um, but again, I'm not a hard sales guy. If they're like, no, I don't want to give you a budget, I'll go, okay, we're just going to quote you a price. Sometimes in that scenario, I will fire a ballpark price back to them. That way it forces them to, um, well, here's a funny exchange that, that, that I think I read in the book that, that I think I may have experienced a few times. A customer will go, I'll say, can you give me a budget? They go, I have no idea. I don't have a budget. I say, what do you want? They're like, logo design. I'm like, all right, that's $5,000. They go, whoa, 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 my budget was $2,000. <laughs> like, you just said you didn't have a budget. Now you do have a budget. Okay, well, at least now we're talking money. Um, I, I read a great article once by a guy that uh, he was a professional salesman, and he did. he sold nuclear power plants in Europe. Why? And he's like, I come right in the door and say, you know, 500 million is where we start. Because he doesn't want to waste his time. You know, you know, he could go back and forth for months working with a potential government about building a, a, a power plant. But if they don't have 500 million, the power plant's not happening, you know. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in talk money up front early. I'd say the only time we don't really start talking money pretty up front is... Obviously, for meeting with Pepsi, yeah, you don't need to worry about talking money with those guys. Like they've got the money, yeah. uh, just quote t twice as high as you normally quote. You know, yeah. No, I th I think what happens is I need to uh, email, or I mean, not email. I get emails from uh, those potential clients, and then they, um, you know, I ask what their budget is when I should get on the phone and be a little bit more personal when it comes to the back and forth. And I really like that. You know, we're, I'm just trying to see if I'm, I'll be a good fit for you. Cause when it, when you're emailing back and forth, there's no presence, there's no human touch to it. And, and then it's, it's like what you said that you do. Um, you just throw a ballpark number if they refuse to give a budget. And um, then they just like, well, I can get this for less. And I automatically brand them bottom feeders because of that. And yeah. I don't know if I'm just being too hard on them or if I'm just being such a nice guy, just, you know, if I'm not really trying to just get involved with the uh, strategy. Yeah, so definitely FaceTime is huge, especially early on when you're trying to get that initial sale. I mean, yeah, I always want to meet with a client and get an opportunity to meet them face-to-face. -face. I mean immediately connect with them, you endear yourself to them, they have a totally different perception of who you are. I mean, you know, if you're trying to like, uh, that really goes for the entire relationship, you know, like, if you're just trying to deal with customers and sale just through emails, man, that's going to be really hard to maintain a relationship with that customer, you know, like, um, my accountant, who is the king of this, anytime I shoot an email with a little accounting questions, man, I hit send, my phone rings two seconds later and he's on it with me. And I just feel like this guy's just on top of everything. Like he's so good. And it's just because he calls me and he, he talks to me and you know what I mean? I get that immediate response. Um, and man, if you get an opportunity to meet with someone and then go back and meet with them again. So sometimes we'll have an initial discovery meeting with a client. And then sometimes if it's a complicated website, we'll have to have like a second meeting where we're going over it with them and helping work through what is going to be the new website. And then maybe a post-proposal follow-up where they get to ask us questions about the proposal. Man, the more opportunities you get to actually talk to a customer or sit face-to-face -face with a customer, your odds of landing that work go up and up and up. And it just comes across different than an email that says, what's your budget? You know, it just, it kind of just, um, yeah, it comes across totally impersonal. And uh, I'm always trying to encourage my staff, even though I don't all like to do it. Anytime someone comes up with a customer, call them, call them, get on the phone. Like it is such a different relationship when you call the customer than when you're just exchanging emails. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still email a ton, you know, <laughs> but it's super important at the beginning. It's super important during the sales process.
Yeah, I think I, when I was doing sales in another field, I mean, I was used to the calling back and forth and going and doing FaceTimes with them. But yeah. then when I started getting back into the design field, I tried doing that. And I think it was just more talking to designers and artists. And it felt like, no, just do email. It's much easier for us. And I kind of, I think I might've just exiled myself from doing phone calls a lot and just sticking with emails. But yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, especially when it comes to those first few instances. Yeah. Of, uh, meeting. And, I, and again, I never fight with my customers. If they say, Hey, I prefer to email, hey, let's email, you know, that's fine. Calls and I'm like, Hey, are you in town? Sometimes it, it feels like it's, less work actually to sit down with someone and talk them through stuff than you know if they're like hey tell me about your design process in an email i'm like oh geez what am i gonna do like you know right sit here and spend an hour writing our entire process out in an email like let's sit down and have a conversation are you in town i'd be happy to come meet you you know we lauren and i drive all over this all over the state to go meet with potential clients sit down with them and um and have a conversation so so yeah, you, you do need to be adaptable. Again, I don't want to force any sales process onto a client, but yeah, if I have an opportunity to um, to sit down, that is a that's a big uptick in your ability to close those deals. And in terms of how much back and forth, it it, it really varies. Some clients we give them a price and they go, great, no problem. Where do I send a check? We love those clients. Others, it can be months going back and forth, or you know, going back and forth about timeline and take phasing some stuff out, phasing stuff, some stuff in, finding different ways to do things. I mean, especially the bigger web development uh, projects, those negotiations can go on for months where we're going back and forth about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, when it's going to get delivered and what point needs to be. Um, Completely. I just got called a crazy fucking dingbat and you don't want those customers anyway. So, you know, I mean, she's not lying, but <laughs> Elijah has a question. Okay. Do you guys come up with creative compensation for projects, for instance, where you use per unit sold? Okay. I was mentioning that earlier. Go Media does not. Again, I know it's something that some artists do. So I don't have a lot of great advice on how to best handle that. I would reach out to the creative community and try and find some people that are freaking steal like an artist just ask them ask them how they're possibly going to send you their contracts if they have them borrow those um yeah just find someone that's doing it successfully and 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 uh um do that now i will say with both money and these contracts and the royalties and all these things you know it all starts with getting them set in your head you can know dry cleaning you know they might have a budget of six hundred dollars for branding you're not going to get how, and it's a challenge for everyone because, look, everyone's out there competing, trying to be the next for Pepsi or Nike or Coke or Adidas, whoever it is. So Maybe one more question. Yep. Tips. All right. Like this. Well, they're shooting in front of me right now. Is that right? Yep. So this is our – we can squeeze about eight people into here. It's, it's pretty tight. Um, that's the – it used to be a gallon aquarium. A lot of upkeep. And at one point I was like, God, I feel like an aquarium as I am – doing design work. So we eventually decided to, to get rid of that. So these are like, I call these great weird shaped spaces that we can put different desks in and stuff here. But we have designers to sit up here, workstation here, for stuff. We have all here. Full of great This our area. We can put our logo on it. Let's see. Designers just moved to a new pod, so 
right in the back here. We're a little, the office was built for like 25 people, but we've only got eight people in here now, so we have a lot of just dead space. But we've filled it up with junk, so we need to kind of go through and organize. So these would all be like workstations that could go into these pods here, but they're not really being used. This is our drafting table, but it's covered in stuff from our photo shooting area, which is over here. We do product photography and uh, mock-up template photography. We've got a bunch of products we're shooting for one of our clients here. Those are not our designs. And then Chris Carley and our soon-to-be joining uh, junior designer will be in this pod right here. This is their desks. That's most of the front office area. We're going to work it back now. Okay. In here, we've got some bolts and magnetic bolts and boards. We've got a little scan station. looking massive. What's that? Elijah looking massive on that screen. What? What's looking massive? Elijah. Oh, Elijah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. Thank cool. you. Yeah. All. Thanks everyone for joining us. Thank you. Very, very. Means very a lot good. that Thank people you. care enough to actually log on, and I hope, I hope, I hope. Everyone finds it valuable on some level. Very much so. Thank Definitely you. Definitely does. Definitely yeah, does. Cool. Yeah. Definitely. Sweet. Thank you. All right, guys. Good to see you guys. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Good night. Bye. See you later. Bye. Yeah.